0: Look, up in the sky, is it a podcast? Is it a journal? Is it just a whole bunch of dribble? Who knows, but it is the Pure Mongrels RPG Musings. So this isn't really a GM journal, this is more of a, this is actually a test. So this is, this is a kind of a bit like what this whole podcast is about. It's really my learning of a number of things and adapting things. So I've been playing around with the sound settings for using my microphone and my recording setup. So I'm wondering whether I sound better. Hopefully, someone can uh, message me back and let me know whether this sounds better than what they were hearing before. I heard part of my last journal that I did, and I sounded really soft, so I apologize to everyone for that. Today's November the 11th. No, it is the 9th of November, 2019. I'm about an hour away from running a game on Fantasy Grounds for some friends of mine, uh, using phage or Fantasy Age. I have to be honest, I'm not feeling it, purely because I haven't had a lot of sleep, and I'm still struggling with a lot of those questions that I'm having at the moment about finding that finding that love of GMing back, but these are some very good friends of mine, and I don't want to let them down, so that's probably an interesting topic that maybe we can discuss if, if people want to send in some feedback about the times that they've GMed. In protest of themselves, like they didn't want to let anybody down, but they themselves just went, "Man, I, I really don't want to. I don't want to GM." Now I'm hoping it's a bit like what happens when I do public speaking. I get a bit nervous, and but when I get in there, a couple of seconds in, I'm, I'm performing Paris, Paris the Clown, and I, uh, I get through it, and it seems to work out. By the end of it, I feel really good. So. With the guys that I play with, that's generally what happens is by the end of it, you know, at some point we'll have a big laugh, I'll relax a bit more, not worry so much about my performance and just have some fun. I'm trying to incorporate some of the uh, overlying themes that I've been discussing lately into this game. In fact, this adventure has been slightly altered to add that in. I'm also refraining from editing as much. I listened back a bit and I sounded very unnatural. So if you give me some feedback on that, guys, too, this would be great. This is, I guess, a very odd podcast format as it's more of a delayed social media interaction than it is a... Podcast, at least this some of these segments that I'll be releasing because I just want to, I just want to talk to you guys. I don't want to be presenting a show. I'm, I'm really looking for your feedback, looking for your thoughts, and letting me know that I'm on the right track or whether I need to change things. So I'll stop talking for now. This is my little bit before the game. Uh, in fact, I won't post this straight away. I will record again at the end of the game and see how I feel any different, and that'll be an interesting reflection. So, yeah, I guess I'll talk to you again real soon. Although for you, I haven't shut up. Weird. Talk soon. Bye. Right, so next day, I said I was going to record directly after the game, but my head was so full of stuff and I was so compressed, that uh, wouldn't have been a good time to record, so next day, I've had a chance to mull over what happened the night before and decompress, and I'm actually pretty happy with how it went for all my misgivings about being a crap GM on the night, because I just didn't feel like it, Uh, got into my groove, had some fun, and I think the guys enjoyed it, although, as I'll discuss a bit later on, I think combat went way too long, but I will get to that. So, what did I learn last night? A number of things. First of all, what uh, what was important last night was that this was another stage in that understanding of how to play a new game system. So, Fantasy Age by Green Ronin Games, uh, and especially switching over from a system like Savage Worlds, which has a lot of similarities in Fantasy Age, but Fantasy Age also has a lot of similarities with D&D, in fact if those two systems had got drunk one night and had a unplanned love child, this would be it I think. Anyway, so it's a matter at this stage, in the early stages of learning how to play this game, it's, it's a matter of sorting through what works, what doesn't work, understanding the design philosophy of the game. I think I actually have a a small leg up here because playing Savage Worlds has taught me a lot about playing in a generic rule system, which Fantasy Age is. And it's given me some insight into how to deal with NPCs, monsters, threat levels, that kind of stuff, but I'll, I'll discuss that in a minute. So just a bit of background on how I had originally set up the adventures for this system. And that is that... Oh, sorry, not the system, this this campaign. And in my head, originally, I had an idea where I was gonna try and create a campaign that had complete player agency in the sense that there'd be a starting city. In that starting city, there would be a notice board, for want of a better term. And on that notice board, there would be three missions available each time they visited that notice board, one from each of the main guilds in this world. I'm making this sound very boring. I promise you I roleplay it better than this, but I'm not going to bore you none with all that. Three guilds being the um, Mercenaries Guild, archaeologist Guild, and the enforcers guild and so at this stage the guys had picked an adventure from the archaeologist guild where they were to assist a young halfling archaeologist to go to a site that she believed she had discovered was the location of a great throne room uh, from an ancient civilization of giants and she was paying well through the role-playing, the guys got the idea that maybe this young lady wasn't taken as seriously by the rest of her archaeological um, compatriots, uh, that this, this, this young halfling's theories and thoughts were a little out there, but the guys liked the money, and so they went, and the first whole lead-up to how we got there, there's a whole bunch of role-playing, but first encounter, if you will, was a river crossing, which involved, um, fighting some crocodiles that were very hungry, giant crocodiles. And I had a bit of an epiphany here, and it sounds odd to have an epiphany after 30 plus years of role-playing. Um, but I realized that a big part of my role as a GM, especially at work, is I can't, it's show, don't tell, right? It's that whole adage of being an author, which actually comes across in teaching behavior and uh, modes of being at the table. And so one of the things that I've always struggled with as a GM is this getting my players to run. And from a lot of the things that I've read online, I'm not the only GM. So when, when, when do you convince or how, how do you present a encounter in such a way that you want your players to run? Not that that was the whole goal here in this particular encounter, but it's something that comes up. And I realized that, especially my early years of role-playing, or when I'm not focused on the game enough, I just let my my NPCs, no matter who they are, just fight to the death. Right? They just fight to the death because they're just, when I'm in computer game mode, I just let my guys stand up and they're there to be killed, just like in a computer games, These these NPCs. Well, last night I was looking at these crocodiles and I'm like, man, these crocodiles, there's no way they're going to stand a fight. They're here for a meal. They're, they're here to, to, to get some food. And, um, and if that food becomes too much of a challenge, it's about preservation. It's not about fighting to the, to the death. So I decided, like, okay, with this group of players, my friends, guys I've been playing for a long time who do fight to the end, I was going to use that adage of showing that running away was a thing and the encounter went really well. Two of the guys in the encounter got uh, the the professor and one of their PCs got so badly injured that they were endangered of of being dragged under the water by the crocodiles and where they do their death roll and then shove the carcass under a a a wood a stump or a log that's under the water because that's what crocodiles do. I come from I was I lived in the north of Australia. We have a lot of saltwater crocodiles up there and they're big boys. And that's, that's the mode of a crocodile. They don't generally hunt in packs like this, but it's a fantasy world and I'm a GM and I get to do a bit of ad lib. So the fight goes on. It has a logical conclusion where they, they beat the crocodiles enough and bloody their noses enough that the crocs go too hard, Time out, and it actually provided this really great scene where um, you know two two of the the characters get rescued, uh, dragged up onto the bank. Um, there's the whole process of setting up camp and healing, and and we had an interlude during that time. Two of the players had an interlude so they could get hero points back, and, and it worked out really well. And I and I was very happy with how I showed um, these NPCs, crocodiles acting in what I believed a crocodile or an animal would act like, so I was, I'm very proud of myself, I'm like, yeah, this is cool, and I've shown my players that, that running is an option, so then the final encounter of the session is them not only locating the ruins, but making their way in it, and there was this whole role-playing moment about how they discovered this, uh, air shaft that was completely made out of stone, like, from go where the whole thing's one piece of stone, um, and they had to climb up on this massive ridge to see it because of the of the jungle canopy. And the dwarves discovered it and got really excited because they thought they were looking at a mine. And the professor got excited because finally her research had paid off and she was going to find this great golden throne of this this ancient um, giant species that lived many thousands of years before other species had roamed the Earth. I can't remember the exact details now. Uh, and I'm half asleep because I've only just woken up. But... So we have this whole role role playing encounter, and they don't just discover the entrance to the ruins because there's this whole searching bit around the stuff, blah blah blah. They go inside, and of course, I had already prefaced that how this encounter would go. And this is an interesting this was an interesting part for me. So uh, the creatures that were in this ruins were there for a reason. It's something that's always annoyed me about some dungeon delving games is that things that live in places have no real reason for being there other than for something for players to thwack on. And that's, that's always annoyed the heck out of me. But these alien-like spiders from the Void, although my players don't know they're from the Void, so hopefully they're not listening to this, um, they in a nutshell what's happening is they're creating a new croach, a new a new base where they're growing a young queen and it is just one of the parts of these void creatures looking to do this overarching dominance of this region by infiltration I won't go into too much detail because my players will listen to this so in 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 this area there is um there's these alien-type spiders that whose whole sole job is to create this waxy substance, which I stole directly from Jim Butts' Codex Alaria, called the Croach, um, where they they shove living creatures into this waxy substance, which provides the nutrients to grow the queen and and that kind of thing. And and the reason they're in this ruin is because it's safe and it's hidden, and it's a great place to shove all the creatures that they they find in this environment. And so there was there was two lead ups that I I put into this encounter so that the players were kind of aware of it, so that it made sense in a in a story sense, that it didn't just oh, you find some spiders and we and we go on. So before they'd even entered the jungle part, they'd they'd reached the end of the road to the final roadhouse before going into this uncharted territory. And they were talking to the owners of the roadhouse, and there was a story that was relayed about a prospector that had gone deep into the jungles, and he'd come across an area where these weird... He saw these weird spiders working on this weird glowing wax, croachy stuff, I didn't call it croach, obviously, and, and gave, gave an explanation as to what he saw about how they were stealing these birds, and, and instead of killing them, they were just sort of stunning them and shoving them in this wax where they would slowly be dissolved alive yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was preface number one. And then when they're actually getting closer and closer to the area of the runes, um, I started giving indications that something wasn't right because there were no animal sounds. Jungles tend to be rather noisy. I don't know if you've ever been walking around in a in a rainforest or a jungle, uh, but you will hear birds, you will hear all sorts of creatures calling out to each other, and, and they're quite noisy places. And without Anything more than just giving emphasis to how silent this place was, uh, I, I could see that I was building that tension with my players. That the, they were on edge. They were ready for something to jump out of the fire or out of the jungle at them. Um, and and their their whole demeanour about how to explore this ruin had changed slightly. Normally it'd be, oh, I'll go in the ruin and I'll just run down there and see what's there and I'll deal with it. And they they really thought. You know, there was this lot of oh, I better check around corners, I better, I better check to make sure that that in those shadows nothing's going to jump out at me. Um, and and I guess there's a bit of a there's something I should explore there later, maybe with uh, with che and Frank, is is how to present scenarios in such a way that it becomes logical for people to start searching for stuff as opposed to this old school D and D kind of I check for traps, I poke my 10-foot pole every 10 foot to see that, you know, on and on and on. So provide that that atmosphere so that that's the key to start searching, looking for stuff, as opposed to, you have entered dungeon, normal mode, or entered space, normal mode is to check for X, Y, and Z. Is is actually present that within the, within the tome and the theme that you're presenting at the table. I'm rambling a bit. Hopefully that hasn't bored you numb. So they fight these, they, they eventually, uh, first of all, they discover that the Great Throne is actually what here in Australia we call, call uh, as a nickname the Great Throne, which is a giant toilet. That's right. This whole archaeological dig that they discovered was a giant toilet area for the king of the these giant people. In fact, next to where his beloved throne is, is a large, it's almost, I don't know, about two and a half meters long, giant gold cylinder, which is actually an ass wiping stick, ladies and gentlemen, that's correct. So there's a notch at one end where it's designed, I don't know, maybe put a whole sheep in there or something, which was designed to wipe the backside once the royal king had, or the royal king's bottom has done its royal poo. I don't know when you are listening to this. I hope you're not eating. Um, and there was much rolling of eyes and looking at me and go, well done, Paris. Nice one. Thrown. I get it. Good. I had a bit of a giggle. Made me laugh. Um, and of course, it's at this point that they discover these spidery-like things that are using this area, this hidden area to start at least an invasion point. They don't know it's an invasion point. They just think it's these creatures doing what these creatures do. Um... They fight the spiders and I begin to get a real reminder about how much I dislike attrition style combat, the removal of hit points. So while I'm still learning fantasy age and how to get these combat encounters right in terms of not balance, I don't want balance. I'm not looking for a correct, uh, what do I call it, a CR in D&D now, um, challenge rating. I'm not after that. This is... This is for me, a, a combat encounter or a, a place in a world should make sense to the place in the world, not to the level of the characters, if you get my idea. If they decide to walk left, right down into a dungeon's, thro- uh, sorry, a dragon's room, and a dragon is designed for a level 20 character, I'm not gonna change that dragon to be a, a, a critical rating, or whatever it's called, to match those players. Nope, it's a level 20 dragon. If they decide not to run, Tough titties for them. It's 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 all over. That that's that's it. So they they fight these spiders, and I, I must admit I had no intention of, of these things being unbeatable, but it was it, it showed that looking at 3d6 for an attack modifier, um, 14 as a defense was a little high. Uh, even though these, I, I changed nothing about these starters. I pulled them straight in terms of stat wise, I pulled them straight out of the rule book. Uh, 14 means that these things are very fast, very dexterous, hard to hit. Um, I was What I was noticing was the rolls are between 9 and 13, even with modifiers. Um, so 14 is a bit high. Their armor rating was 4. Which is in fantasy age that means that you take away four points of damage if they don't do a stunt pierce uh, a piercing stunt armor piercing stunt, um, and that turns out to be quite high when you think about most weapons in this game are around about the D six level add strength, taking away you know four points of damage from that, and I think they had a hit point level of about thirty five. Um, you could guess at this point why the combat encounter took so long and it took. Took fifteen rounds, which is which is far too long. In fact, anyone that's played Savage Worlds and you say my combat l- round took or my combat took fifteen rounds, they're just going to look at you in sheer horror. Um, so while the combat was fun and it was slow because we were still learning um, the elements of this game, whether it was the stunt point mechanic system or I think the thing that really threw all of us, myself included is, so in, in Savage Worlds is any character can have three actions in a turn. I'm talking about Suede here, not uh, Deluxe. So three actions in a turn, and any action taken beyond the initial uh, creates a minus two penalty to all actions. So if I take one action, no penalty, if my character takes two en- actions, uh, both those actions are at minus two to succeed. And if I take three actions, all three actions are at minus four to succeed. Here in Fantasy Age, your characters have a major action and a minor action, and that's it, at least at the start. I'm pretty sure later on talents and stuff affect this, and sometimes stunt points can affect this, but at a base level of the game, you have a major action and a minor action, or you can take two minor actions, and a major action is charge, which is an attack, Uh, do a melee hit, that's an attack, that's a major action, Uh, fire your bow, that's a major action, that kind of thing, and the minor actions are really designed to not only add. Um, the minor actions in this in this game are really designed to make you think more about how combat operates, and and to give it. I wouldn't say a role play feel to it, but maybe a little more. A simulation that that makes sense and is fun. So a minor action is something like press the attack. So if the uh, the creature or the thing that, the target that you're fighting leaves your combat zone, you don't automatically get a hit of opportunity like you do in other role-playing games. If you've selected press the attack, what happens is you actually follow that creature or that target um, up to your speed. So wherever it ends, hopefully you are still within hitting distance of it. Um, on your turn that's why you would select press the attack there's you can also do things like guard up so you have more defense and and there's a whole bunch of things i'm not gonna go through the whole rules in fact i might go do a fantasy age rules overview at some point later but for now just know that the mechanics within a combat encounter in fantasy age have to be looked at and thought of differently than savage worlds savage worlds is a lot more abstract in terms of combat, whereas Fantasy Age um, is less so, is is less so, and I, and I think that slowed us down quite a bit, as as all of us were sort of, well, what what do I use my major action for? One of the things I note as a GM is I tend to fall into a attack mode where I forget to use my minor action for my NPC, so I forget to say uh, they're going to do a follow up action or they're guarding up or or that that kind of thing uh and i think once i get a better handle on actions and a better handle on power levels in terms of armor versus defense versus hit points these combats are going to become a lot more fluid and and a lot more i wouldn't say not fun last night we had a we had a fair bit of fun the guys seemed to have fun so in the beginning the combat looked like the guys were going to lose and i was waiting for them to run i had i had sort of in the back of my mind, I, th- I think I'd always had this idea that this was a no-winnable scenario and eventually more spiders would come and if they didn't run, the characters would perish. And I'm loathed to kill characters, but I'm starting to become more accustomed to the idea of killing PCs or allow... I don't kill PCs. Allowing PCs to die because of their actions is, is, is a better term. Uh, but the tide turned, thankfully they started getting the upper hand. I did reduce midway through the game. I did reduce the defense by a point, which I'm allowed to do because it's GM Fiat. And I was just, I guess I was a bit tired of watching these guys swing, 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 and just missing by a point or two. So again, this is me learning the game on the fly. Uh, now I ended up Adding a component to this encounter, two and two, uh, two components to this encounter that I had not originally intended for the encounter, and that was in relation to not only what I was seeing from the guys and in terms of what they were picking up as clues as to what was going on, and I could have could have left this just fight some spiders, moving on but I'd had a lot of thought about how I was going to introduce other NPCs and and things like the Ravens and and that, and I, I felt at this point I needed to add a bit more depth to the ramifications of this encounter, and also I wanted to start putting in a thought process of there is a nemesis here. there is There's actually an overarching thing, and the reason I've done that is because when I originally started building this campaign... I had it in my head that this was going to be a completely player-agency, player-run kind of game, and I've since discovered that that not only doesn't work for me, it, it it holds a whole lot of challenges. So there's a friend of mine by the name of Richard Woolcock who has done a lot of writing. He's done some fantastic stuff for the Savage Worlds community. He's created uh, Saga of the Goblin Horde, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, he has this amazing website where there's there's just a whole lot of resources for any Savage Worlds GM and not only that he he himself is apart from being a great guy to speak to he has a real understanding of game mechanics that that I couldn't even begin to to comprehend he he really reverse engineers role playing games but has somehow managed to still be a role player and not a rule player like if you read his stuff that he writes and and talk to the guy he he's just amazing to me he is he's everything i aspire to be in a gm i got to be honest anyway we were, we were discussing about creating encounters and and how i make them sort of more ad lib and and on the fly, and and not create so much detail, because I'm so time poor at work. And he recommended a book to me called Scarlet Heroes by Sign Nominee Publishing. Um, I'll have a link for the, their drive through uh, PDF in the show. Now, one of the elements of this game, or one of the elements of this book, is this concept of adventure tags. And in it, there is a whole. There's like a random table of uh, th- encounters that you can roll for, whether it's in an urban wilderness or dungeon environment. And each each uh, adventure tag is is very simple, and it, it runs on a format of enemies, friends, things, complications, and places. Has uh, so an initial title, possibly two or three sentences that explain what's going on in this in this scenario. And then those those titles, which have a small descriptor at the, at the base of them, uh, and that's that's all you work on. So you'd be uh, a, 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 an ad lib on the fly GM. And so in this particular instance, um, it was, um, I can't remember what I called it, but ultimately the enemies were crocodiles. Uh, So, sorry, the the sentence was uh, a bumbling professor who's always got a head in the books, not taken very seriously by the Archaeologist Guild, needs people to help her get to a site that she believes she's discovered through her readings of the Great Throne Room of this giant race. That was it. That's the whole premise of this scenario. And then the enemies was... Uh, originally had no giant spiders in it there was no this overarching campaign so the enemies was going to be like a boa constrict giant boa constrictor the crocodiles insects uh, and then and that was it really like I think I can't remember what I'd actually put in the in the ruins but it wasn't spiders and then friends was obviously her the the professor the the contact at the archaeologist guild the people that's at the last roadhouse because uh, they were in the story originally, even though they don't, they didn't have the spider story. Uh, the things was obviously the the play on the this is actually a giant toilet, ha ha ha, and but this is giant golden bum wiper. Uh, complications, uh, the complications that I had in that. What were the complications? I'm trying to remember what the initial. Oh, the complications was the environment itself. So the the jungle, getting through the jungle, the insects the river crossings, uh, getting down into the ruin, that kind of thing. The complications were all about travel. The The travel was complicated. And then a place. So the place that I listed was the jungle, the ruin, the roadhouse, and the starting point of the guild. Uh, you'll have to excuse that glomping noise in the background, which just happens to be my dog. I'm very happy to see me. My wife has just let him in. So this adventure encounter ends with not only the, now this added thing of what's happened to the archaeologist um, with the silverfish coming out of the spider and seemingly taking possession of her, which is an unresolved thread, which will which will come back in the next um, in the next session. But I also added in the this nemesis element that this. I can't even remember if I've mentioned this already in the journal. So, quick recap. Uh, At the end, once they defeated the spiders, they start hearing this cracking coming out of the croach, or this waxy substance, and out comes this not-yet-quite-formed female humanoid figure um, that escapes from from the croach, being that the spiders are feeding her creating her they don't know who this person is they either the way I described it which I did put a bit of I did put a flare into it because there's the skin hadn't formed properly and there was uh there was this flap that was over the mouth that it had to rip away so that it could scream at them even though it wasn't making anything intelligence to say uh, and it was staggering towards them in my mind this thing was just trying to defend itself the uh just and I did, in that it was it was actually pretty vulnerable at this point. One of the players fired an arcane bolted at it twice, which blew almost blew off one arm and blew out part of her chest. Um, but for whatever reason, they didn't back up the fight and decided at this point to run, possibly because of their injuries. Uh, it actually worked out really well in terms of what I'm looking for for the overarching story. So they they back out, uh, start running. They they smash off bits of this golden toilet brush because they knew they couldn't carry this giant golden toilet brush back through the jungle. Um, wrap the wrap the professor in a blanket and tie her up, um, while this this other character is blasting away with arcane blast, trying to hold back this well thought he was holding back this this creature that had just appeared. And as they run away, I do imply that the thing was actually running from them as well. So they eventually get out of the ruins because of all the combat we roleplayed that they sort of get out of the ruin mouth and just flop on the ground, all exhausted in the sunlight, in the daylight, very happy. And we have this kind of predator moment where they look up in the trees and they see this half, not quite yet formed creature glaring at them from one of the tree tops before it bounds Bounds away to another tree branch and another one in, in this incredible strength and, and disappears. And that's where the session ended, with them now being ready to uh, return back to the city of Carnum. Uh, they've got a week week and a bit, week and a half of travel back through the jungle, uh, which we won't role play because that'll be just dull and there's nothing that's going to happen in there and want to get them back to the roadhouse and back to the city so they can get to their next adventure point. But I'm I'm happy I now have uh, a nemesis theme to this world. They know there's something out there that's not happy with them, that they interfered with, uh, they've no yet, at least as players as players and player characters, they have no, no idea yet that they've interfered with a, a greater plot line here, uh, or in, in the sense of an understanding of what that means to the world of carnum and how it's going to interact with their story. Uh, but they do know that they've they've ticked something off and knowing me, it's going to come back to bite them in the ass. So there's really nothing left for me further to talk about this. I I think I've outlined the things that I've taken away from this session of what I have to ponder and think about. Um, I'm happy with how the session went, happy with how there's now elements for me as the GM to be more excited about the story. It's not just completely player fiat. There's there's now GM agency in there. And I have a better direction for how this, this campaign is going to go while still using these small... Um, adventure ideas as the hooks um, and, and how these, these things will cross over and it's lace. I'm babbling at this stage so I'm actually going to sign off this journal right now uh, I will listen back to it uh, keeping in mind that this is not going to be edited purely because I want to keep my thoughts uh, real, pure but please give me a feedback on, on how you feel these should be outlined, how long they should be, what should be in them, how often they should come out Um This is really a discussion with with you as much as my unburdening my GM soul, Uh, and I'm looking forward to how what I do and say at my GM table reflects on your own game and with your own thinkings. So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, Stay safe, stay strong, stay upwind from orcs, and I'll talk to you next time. This is Paris out.
1: Hey, Paris, Spencer here, a.k.a. Free Thrall. And um, I just wanted to say welcome to Anchor. Really enjoyed the first couple of episodes. I'm uh, quite jealous of the fact that you sound extremely professional straight off the bat. I'm well into season two and I'm still babbling like a buffoon. So, um, yeah, you're off to a good start. Um, I'm also particularly interested in how you use gaming in as a mental health uh, tool and uh, i'm very interested to learn more about that i realize that you don't particularly want to focus on that but i'm uh pleased to hear that you're not going to be avoiding that side of things entirely anyway looking forward to the next episode take care
0: g'day spencer thanks for uh, the message mate um yeah look i'm i'm not going to be able to escape uh, using mental health, or talking about what I do in the mental health space with my gaming um, in this podcast, and you know, thinking about it more, I don't want to. Mental health is is such an important topic, especially in this day and age. Well, it's always been an important topic, but I think we've only really we're only really talking about it properly in this day and age. So, I will go into it in more detail much later, um, but just so you know, the the brief. Uh, the brief background is that um, about three years ago, I started in the mental health and youth work space, um, coming from a background of marketing, managing, and uh, running my own business for about 15 years. So in terms of marketing, I was part of the original team that launched the first Xbox here in Australia, um, which was an absolute blast for me. And I learned a stack about the gaming industry and and, and stuff like that. And in, in terms of an ego boost, being the dude that just hands out Xbox games like candy and going to a whole bunch of parties and, and meeting a whole bunch of celebrities was really good or bad for my ego, depending on how how you look at it, um, but after that I became an area manager for EB Games for a couple of years where, uh, I think it's called GameStop in America, I don't know what it's called in England if they have it, um, but I developed my love of guiding, mentoring and training young people there, I didn't know it at the time, it's not something that I discovered till much later. Um, But one of my greatest joys and I think my greatest accomplishments in that time was showing young people how much value they had, not just to the organization that they were working for, but to themselves and what they can learn and what they could achieve. And I'll go into that in more detail, but uh, at another time. Uh, Then I ran my own business for 14, 15 years, uh, uh, data and telecommunications technician, um, and at the end of that, I studied mental health and youth work. Eventually, it was just initially it was just going to be youth work, but I did mental health at the same time, and I'm very grateful for it. Um, and the long story about how it all came to be will will be put into the podcast a bit later on. But I I developed a program which I called the Applied Gaming Program or the Applied RPG Program in the beginning um, when I discovered the truly therapeutic. Um, properties of RPG purely by accident and the amount of profound change that it had on some of the young people that I was working with miraculous honestly miraculous and and I realized that probably through my journals I sound like a bumbling idiot (laughs) had probably the worst GM you've ever heard but I don't know there's something about when I get locked into that space and I'm playing with those kids that yeah, I don't know. It's it's almost as if uh, I've certainly found my true calling in terms of, of being that guide in helping young people understand the world they live in, understand their place in it, understand human interaction, understand interpersonal skills and their importance uh, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff, which again, for a later episode. So I, I will be talking about it. Um, I will... I will preface this by saying that do not underestimate the power or importance of inviting someone to your gaming table. Not that I'm expecting anyone that listens to me or any of the future stuff I talk about to become game therapists or treat their games as game therapy. But that inclusion of adding people to your space, to, to your inviting them into that environment where they can not only meet people and interact with other people and, and be belong to something, but to be in a platform where they feel safe and can explore self-identity amongst peers, man, that's uh, that's truly a gift. And it's a truly a gift that I think only role-playing games can impart. So even though I've developed, or sorry, the program that I developed has since been adapted to um, include video gaming, war gaming, miniature gaming, uh a uh, whole bunch of other stuff. Sorry, I'm rambling a bit. Um, yeah, there, there's a power in role-playing. There's a power at that that table that that I haven't seen in any other medium, in any other format, and is truly, truly exciting and special to watch. So uh, yeah, again, thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for your welcome. I, I do appreciate it a lot, a lot, and I'm hoping that that part of what I do with this podcast and these journals, and as I get better and 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 sort of come into my own, and and the information that I provide is uh, better rounded, I guess. I, I'm I'm rambling. I'm just learning my craft, so I'm hoping that that what I what I provide will be better and absorbed easier and more poignant and useful to to everyone that listens. And for me, this is this is a chance to hear back from other people that are not in my industry or not at my table to give me some feedback because one of the things that I've learned of late is that the more viewpoints, the better, the The more people looking at the same thing that you are, especially when I was, you're as close to the grindstone as I am, um, to have people step back and go, Hey dude, have you, have you thought of looking at it like that? Or man, I think you're being a bit hard on yourself here. Or man, I think you need to be a bit harder on yourself here. This is important. Um, is part of what I'm looking for out of this show. So thank you so much. I look forward to catching up on your show and yeah, talk to you real soon. Thank you.